Welcome guys to my first ever podcast um, this, The whole point of these podcasts are that I interview leading experts in the field of mental health And give you guys some great information Stuff you probably wouldn't know and put your fears to ease This podcast is with one of the leading cardiologists in the UK, Dr. Sanjay Gupta We discuss heart palpitations, health, anxiety and a host of other topics Please listen to it, enjoy it and uh, share it Please do follow me on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at I am Bilal Jogi. Enjoy. Yeah, on with it really. Um, te- uh, for anybody that's watching this, Sanjay, please could you give a bit of a background about yourself? Um, anybody that's not seen your stuff online, a bit about you and what... Yeah, just quick short intro really. Okay, so thank you for having me. Um, my name is Sanjay Gupta. I'm a cardiologist. Um, I've been a cardiologist now as a consultant for almost eight years. I work at New York Teaching Hospital. Um, and I am a specialist in imaging of the heart. So I do a lot of uh, scanning of the heart to try and work out if there's any kind of underlying heart disease or weak heart. During the course of my time, I've increasingly started putting stuff out online. And I started up a channel four years ago, uh, which is known as York Cardiology on YouTube. And as I've done this, I've realized there's a lot of anxiety out there about, you know, amongst young people about their hearts. There's so much fear in the in the news and uh, in, in media in general about uh, heart issues and people are very scared. And uh, I was very keen to try and take some of that fear away by presenting information which was reliable, uh, you know, and and information which had a which had a face behind it because a lot of the information on the internet is sort of faceless you don't know who's put that information down everything is really kind of defensive or oh, if you have this make sure you see a doctor if you have this and there's so much information and you don't know what's reliable and what isn't and so if you had a person who was out there saying look this is who i am this is the information i'm get- giving to you then at least you feel a little bit more if you buy into the person you believe in than you believe in that information so that was what i was trying to do and that's what i've done for the last four years and consequently uh, i've had a bunch of people join the channel and people have been very kind and written back and said they found it helpful so that's the kind of stuff i do fabulous and that's what we're here for today just to try to put information out there that can help the end user just understand uh, anything to do with the heart especially palpitations a bit simpler we're not trying to here to give any medical advice but we're just trying to give people hope and look saying it's not as bad as what you're reading because as you know you type stuff online you can read all sorts and it gives people more fear they're getting more worried am i going to have a heart attack am i having a stroke am i going to die and it just becomes a snowball effect so one of the first things what i wanted to touch upon is just to keep it really simple is if you could just explain to the to the viewer what is a palpitation okay in the most simple um, sense, a palpitation, the first thing is it's, it's a symptom, okay? So no one can say to you, you're having palpitations. You have to feel it. It's something you experience, and therefore only you can say you have palpitations. Palpitations basically means where you feel that your heart is doing something it shouldn't. It's either beating harder, it's beating faster, it's beating irregularly, it's fluttering, it's skipping. Any sensation where you think your heart is beating in a way that it shouldn't could be described as a palpitation. So in that sense, it's a bit like pain. You know, some people may experience, uh, uh, you know, some people may not experience anything, in which case they say, I don't have pain. 
other people may have the same sensation, have the same stimulus, but may experience something in which they say they have pain. So palpitation is a symptom. It doesn't necessarily mean that a palpitation always means there's a problem with the heart or anything like that. Palpitation is purely a symptom. Right. And a lot of people that that have got in touch with me or that I've read stuff online and I was one of these people that were a lot of people are having palpitations but nothing's coming up in the ECG scan or the echo is it echo echo and but they're still getting palpitations and um, what what kind of advice would you give them is it is that something to worry about is it fine is it just you what what would you say to them kind of people Okay, so the first thing to say is when you get palpitations, um, palpitations can be a completely normal phenomena. So, for example, it can be a situational thing. If you're going along, walking along in the middle of a, you know, in a dark alleyway at night and someone jumps out at you, your heart will beat really fast and hard. And you will think that, oh, that feels really uncomfortable. That's a palpitation. But that can be completely, you know, explained by the situation you're in. So your heart in that situation is not doing anything abnormal. It's behaving normally to all the external influences. Similarly, if you get anxious or if you're stressed, you will feel your heart doing more because that's how the heart responds to stress. That doesn't necessarily mean that you have a heart rhythm problem. So in general, the way I like to describe it is either the heart is doing something normally, but the brain is sensing it abnormally, or the heart is doing something abnormal and the brain is sensing it normally. So, so the majority of times when you get heart palpitations, the heart is just doing what something else is telling it to do. Be that anxiety, be that fever, be that thyroid, be that anemia. Any of those things will cause heart palpitations, but the heart is just doing what something else is telling it to do. The, bo- the brain takes that and says, oh, something abnormal is happening here, but the heart's doing what it's meant to then there's a small group of people in which there is actually a heart rhythm disturbance and the heart is doing something it shouldn't be doing and the brain says, okay, now that my heart is... So how do you distinguish between the two? Well, ideally, if you have an ECG during the palpitations, that tells you because if your heart rhythm is completely normal, then it can't be an an abnormal heart rhythm. But you can't have an ECG when you're not having the palpitations because that doesn't tell you the answer. Your heart can be completely normal on the ECG. The ECG can be completely normal, uh, but how can you be confident that it would be normal when you're having the palpitations? So the secret is to catch the palpitations when they happen. And if your ECG is normal during the palpitations, then you're not dealing with a heart rhythm disorder. It is as clear as that. It's as good as it gets. Now, if you can't catch it, that's the difficult situation, right? If you can't catch it, then what do you do? Well, what does an ECG tell you? It tells you that you don't have an already damaged heart. That's what it tells you. If you do an ECG in the absence of palpitations, it'll tell you that there's no, it doesn't always mean that you don't have a damage, but it's a good indicator that you don't already have a damaged heart. Why is that important? It's important because if you have a damaged heart, and you were getting palpitations, then maybe that is the heart being irritable as a consequence of the damage. So A, you want to know about the damage, and B, of course, if the heart goes into a funny rhythm, it's not going to beat as effectively as it should, and because it won't beat as effectively as it should, and it's already damaged, you're pumping out a lot less blood than you should, and that can be dangerous. The echo tells you exactly the same thing. It tells you whether your heart is strong or weak. All palpitations, are benign, tend to be more benign if you've got a strong heart, 
and tend to be more worrying if you've got a damaged node. And I think one key thing you've touched on, and I think it's a great point, is if the ECG is not pick, the ECG is showing how strong the heart is. Am I right there? The ECG tells you about the rhythm of the heart. So anybody, a lot of the people, a lot of the stuff I've read online, especially in the Facebook groups, is people saying, "Well, I've had the ECG, I've had this, and but I'm still getting it." But what you're saying is, if the ECG is fine, that is a good indicator that it's nothing majorly to be worried about. So don't start thinking the extreme to a point where you're thinking, oh my God, oh my God, the ECG is not picking it. What shall I do? Shall I have a seven-day ECG? I need to see a cardiologist. And but going back to your previous point, which I think was really good, was people don't, they're reading stuff online and they just don't know. And they just, and they want answers quickly and they're putting symptoms in and it's coming up with all sorts. And it's and that is the worrying part. One of the, one of the videos which I really enjoyed was when I, saw, and I thought it was a great piece of content was when you touched upon magnesium. Yes. And if we could just touch upon that and magnesium, what it is, what the benefits are, how it links to the heart and how that can improve um, just your functionality really. So um, as, part of the, as part of the work I do and as, as part of some of the videos I put on, I put uh, stuff out on ectopic heartbeats. Ectopic heartbeats are when people complain of these kind of missed beats or skips or flutters. You know, they'll be saying I, everything and then suddenly it's like my heart stopped and then boom, and then that really scares me. So that's a really common complaint amongst young people, particularly people who have anxiety. You really see a ton of that. And unfortunately, the medical profession doesn't really have any answers. You know, they, they, these people go to the hospital, they see a doctor, he says, oh, it's not dangerous, which they're not. Uh, and then they discharge the patient. And the patient says, well, okay, you've told me they're not dangerous, but I hate having them. So I was doing some research and I came across a person online on YouTube who had written about how he had them and he found magnesium to be helpful. The problem then arose that how do you know? Is it just an anecdotal bit or is it truly, does it truly work? So I guess my contribution to this was I went through the research and found a paper that was done in that was uh, about a research study that was done in Brazil where they took a bunch of people who had these, randomized them either to placebo or magnesium, and then studied what happened to these people. And about almost 90% of these people said, I feel better. But that could have been a placebo effect, but what does it matter? If you're feeling better, that's all you want to achieve. It's not necessarily placebo if it's making you feel better and that's all you want to do, right? So that was the first thing. But then they also did monitoring on these people and found that significant numbers um, of people had far less ectopics as a result of the magnesium. And then they crossed these people over and found that actually when these people went on placebo, they got more ectopics, etc. So there was no doubt after that in my mind that, well, magnesium works. It's just that no one recommends it, A, because they don't know the evidence, B, because magnesium doesn't really make any profit for anyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very true. So, so then I started reading about it, and then um, I found out that it's, it's a it's a both a mineral. Um, it's a it's a it's a vital mineral. It's involved in so many processes in the body, and we are unfortunately seventy five percent of the population now are now deficient in magnesium. The problem with magnesium is that you can't measure it. You can't measure it easily. You can measure. You can do sophisticated tests to measure the amount of magnesium, uh, but just taking a blood test is not an effective way. 
Even if you do things like hyperventilate, you can actually change the amount of magnesium during the hyperventilation because magnesium will be pushed from outside the blood cells into the blood cells and you have less magnesium in the blood. And that may be one mechanism why when people get more and more anxious, they actually become relatively deficient in magnesium at that time and that's when they get more ectopic. And that's a great point, uh, Sanjay, because I, when I used to suffer from anxiety, I, I, I was very reluctant to take antidepressants at the time because of obviously you read all sorts. I wasn't familiar with them and I was just scared of taking antidepressants and I was just searching on what can I do, what can I do, what can I do. And at that time, I came across an article by um, Emily Deans. Uh, I'll put the article on the link below. Oh, Caroline Dean, I think. Caroline. Top psychiatrist in America who's, who's curing people with magnesium for anxiety so I, thought, I looked into this and, I, and at that point I started searching on um, reading success stories of regard in forums who were taking magnesium and I was taking a magnesium glycinate at the time and I, and I got this from Nutri Advance I think they call it online it's a British company and she just said that take the normally you should take about 500 grams a day but if you've got anxiety take it to seven and you'll know when you've got too much in your body because when you'll have like when you go to the toilet, it'll, have, it'll be like a diarrhea, and that means cut it down, but it can have no effect on you. And the effect it had on me personally was the element of like going into panic. I wasn't going there thinking, oh my god, I'm, I'm having a heart palpitation, I'm having a heart attack. My brain wouldn't go there. I would just stay calm. Okay, what is it? And it just you're right. It gives you better brain functionality. But it's a great point that because, like you said, some. In the UK, not a lot of people just know about these things, especially magnesium, and it's it's such a powerful thing. I'm a, I'm an actual somebody that it's been used on, and I thought it, for two years I've took it. I take it around about uh, 200 to 600 grams a day, depending on how I'm feeling, and I've just kept it part of my diet. It's been a really beneficial to me. One of the other things that I found beneficial, I don't know if you can give any insight, is what would omega three have or three six nine have? What benefit would that have on the heart and improving the heart health? Okay, so you know there were the omega three thing came about because people started realizing that people in Japan had less heart attacks and less heart related arrhythmias compared to other people, and they realized that there was a diet rich in fish, and there was a study called the GC three Prevenzioni study which looked at omega three fatty acids and suggested that they were beneficial after heart attacks. Uh, because they reduced, um, I guess, the rate, I, I'm not quite sure now of the data, but either they reduced recurrence or they also reduced heart rhythm disturbances. Subsequently, so this was not a big randomized study, you know, where, uh, ideally you want to take something, uh, randomize it um, against placebo, etc., in a large number of patients. So initially, omega-3 fatty acids in the shape of something called Omacor, O-M-A-C-O-R, it used to be a big capsule, uh, was recommended in people who'd had heart attacks. And a lot of people saw some benefit in rhythm disturbances. Subsequently, however, I think the big, big studies have been done and they've turned around and said, well, it's not as beneficial as we thought. I would say with all this kind of thing, the easy way to try and work it out is this. We know the palpitations are not dangerous. Everyone tells us that if you've been checked out, the palpitations are not dangerous. And that's the important part. Exactly. So the only reason you're taking anything for the palpitations is just because you want to get rid of them. You don't like them. It's not because you're worried that you'll die as a consequence. All it is is you don't want them, right? It's like a headache. It's like a hangover. You know the hangover, it's not going to kill you, but you don't like it. So you take something for it at that time. Well, 
take it. And if it takes it away for you, then it works for you. And if it doesn't take it away, then you've tried it and you can say, well, it doesn't work for me. So that's how I would approach these kind of things. Well, you know, uh, people will say, well, what shall I do? Shall I take it? Everyone is different. What may work for one person may not work for another. The studies that are done, all the evidence base, it, you know, the problem with evidence base is everyone's looking for evidence. Oh, does it work? Does it work? You have to know what you mean by it working. If you just want to feel better, then you don't need evidence from anywhere else. As long as it's not dangerous and it's not prohibitively expensive, you can try it and the evidence is you. Okay, if it's about length of life, it's a, if it's a tablet, someone saying, oh, it will make you live longer, then you definitely need the evidence because you will never know. If I came to you and said, look, here's a tablet, Bilal, take this and you'll live longer, how will you know? You can take it all your life, how will you know, right? For that, you need to the, see the evidence. But if I come to you and say, Bilal, here's a tablet and you'll feel better. Well, you don't need any more evidence because you take it. If it's not dangerous, then a month down the line, you'll say, well, actually, it's not made any difference. So I have no problems with people trying omega-3 fatty acids, magnesium, anything like that. If it makes you feel better, do it. If it doesn't make you feel better, then there's probably no need to continue doing it. And it's a very valid point because when I when when I originally when I started getting anxiety, I used to have, I was very overweight and I just had a fear that oh my god, my heart's racing. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And when I stripped everything back and I started looking at things like I started taking the magnesium, I also thought okay then. I've heard about omega-369, I'm just going to start taking that because what's the worst it can do? It can only make me better than I was yesterday. And that kind of helped me overcome that. But, you know, people that are suffering from anxiety and having a racing heart, what advice would you give to them, you know, that are not having a panic attack, but getting to the point where the heart is pumping and it's making them really anxious and they're in this cycle where they want it to stop but they keep thinking. And what, what kind of advice would you give them to how, how to calm that down? Well, I think the first thing is any time you have anything at all, worrying about it and being really fearful will make things worse. So it's always a good thing. If you've got that, lie down, um, relax, concentrate on your breathing, just to try and calm things down. Always remember one thing, bad things happen to people who are sick, okay? People who are generally healthy, I know we read about the, this footballer who's dropped down dead, etc. But we only read about this is because it's such a rare incident. Okay, In general, it's old people, people who've got lots of illnesses. They're the people who come to harm. And generally, if you are otherwise fit and well, if you're healthy, if you haven't been born with congenital heart disease or anything like that, whatever it is, it's highly unlikely it's going to kill you. So you always have time. You have time to relax. You have time to calm down. You have time to make sure that just contact someone and say, look, I'm just not feeling right. Do you think you could be around here? Come by, etc." And then it's always a good idea at some point to get documentation of what's going on, just so that someone has seen it. For that, in that setting, I would say, Sometimes it's just good to, you can just feel your pulse. Sometimes people have these apps that they can download on their phone, the Cardia apps, and they can download those and they can have a recording made. But wherever you have anything like that, it's just a good idea to try and get as much information about that episode. And sometimes I say, look, you know, if you're getting one and it's really difficult, call an ambulance, get them to do an ECG there and then, and that's it. You've got your answer. Because if... Someone can see that ECG and say, actually, your heart rhythm is completely normal. 
you don't need to worry. Then that's fear out of the way. Then I would say it's always a good idea to go and see a cardiologist just so that, you know, because what tends to happen is, unfortunately, what tends to happen these days is you go to your GP, you won't, the GP won't see you for God knows three weeks or two weeks. Okay. Then when you go, they're more interested in looking at their computer than they are you. You've got like a five, six minute thing. If you're someone who's anxious anyway, you probably need some time to think, make sense of what you're going to say to them, etc. And then you get chucked out and then they say, oh, we'll book you for an ECG. And then you wait. And then, and all that anxiety, just you get into this hideous vicious cycle. You end up going to A&E because you're not getting anywhere. A&E, you'll be seen, go see a cardiologist, um, you know. And to my mind, if someone is really, really anxious, it's probably not an unreasonable thing to bypass the system, pay them the 150 pounds that they charge to see you privately. That's seen within the week. It'll save you so much aggro, so much anxiety, and get an expert to see you. For a lot of people I see, just that chat is enough. You know, they can go home, they can relax, they can say, okay, fine. Uh, because that peace of mind is so, so, so incredibly important. And unfortunately, the system, the way it is, is oversaturated, and therefore you don't get that. You don't get that reassurance. And that's when people have to go to Google and they have to go to forums, etc. And then everyone is different. Everyone's got complexity to their story, which and little knowledge can be an extremely dangerous thing in this kind of setting. And I think that's a valid point where if you can afford it, just bypass it and go and see a, a specialist because that six, seven weeks that you're going to wait for your ECG um, results, and then another two weeks on top of that to get back in with your doctor. That ten weeks, what you go through mentally is absolute torture. You just pay that if you can, only if you can, go and see someone, have a conversation. Um, usually, they'll put your mind at rest, and that's what it's all about. Just putting your mind at rest. So, how would you improve the? What What can people do that are watching this? Improve the heart. What can they do? Exercise. What would you recommend just to keep improving their heart health and just getting fitter yeah i mean you know i think when when we look at it um i've thought about this really hard i think all things happen because of four reasons uh people fall sick because of four reasons bad things happen to us because of four reasons one age the older you get you can't do anything about age two genetics and unfortunately you can't do anything about genetics either three luck well you can't do anything about that and four lifestyle lifestyle you can do something so really the only thing we have at our disposal is our lifestyle N nothing else everything else is part and parcel of just being alive um in terms of lifestyle there are four aspects to it one is nutrition and by nutrition i don't mean uh, chocolates and uh, you know that kind of thing what i mean is there's a lot of compromises that are made to our food these days even in supermarkets you know if you go uh, the way uh, meat, meat, for example, when you buy meat from your supermarket, you may think, okay, I've bought some good meat here. I'm not eating cake. But when we think about the animal farming industry, etc., how is that meat actually made? How are those animals? No one is actually interested in your health. People are interested in the fact that it's tasty and that you come back for more. That's what people are interested in. When they rear that animal, the only purpose of that animal is to be made as fat as quickly as possible so that the, 
So there are compromises in so many different levels. You know, are we eating something that is healthy? Are we eating something that is ethical? And the sad thing is, I don't even know what is ethical. Even those companies that say we do things ethically, who knows? No one knows. I personally have gone personally for myself. I'm on. I now eat a vegetarian diet just because, just because I feel at least I'm eating something which is, you know, which is less likely to have been fiddled with. Um, but who knows? So just being aware of that and ideally, um, you know, sourcing it from someone you know locally, someone who's a local grower, I think is better. I, I, I have a friend who has an allotment and um, he, when he grows stuff, he gives it to me and the food tastes completely different. You can buy the same tomatoes from there as you would buy from a supermarket, but the tomatoes taste completely different. They taste nice and they go bad much quicker compared to what I buy from the supermarket. And that tells me that there is a difference. That's, I think, really important in terms of nutrition. And people largely think nutrition is just about cake and sugar, etc. I think it's a lot about processing, refining, things like aspartum and all that kind of stuff, I think is hideous. Um, but, you know, uh, that's what brings in the cash. That's the first thing. The second thing, I think exercise is really important. I don't think horrendous amounts of exercise is good. So those people who are crazy fit to do ultra marathons, actually, I think they're probably doing more harm than good. Um, you know, but at the same time, being completely sedentary is horrendous as well. It's inflammatory to the body. It's bad for the mood. It's bad for the joints. It's bad for weight gain. It's bad in so many ways. So keeping Keeping active is really important and some cardiovascular exercise on a daily basis, but everything in moderation. Then there are two aspects that I think no one talks about, but for me are even more important. One is sleep. And very few people get adequate amounts of sleep these days. So if I, if you ask anyone, any hundred people, do you wake up feeling refreshed? 85 will say no. Why is that? Why are companies like Starbucks making so much money? It's probably because people are tired. They, they don't sleep enough. They wake up. They're tired. They need something to keep them going. That's, that's what's happening. If you go to America and you go out to Starbucks, you will get people with mugs this big, two lots of mugs this big, just to get them going. You know, How can that be good? How can that be good? Our bodies can go three times as long without food as they can without sleep. If they're meant to sleep for seven or eight hours a day, and we're compromising by sleeping five hours a day, and we do that for 30 years, are we surprised when things start going wrong with our bodies? You know, it's a very good point that you've raised. I was watching um, uh, uh, a big UFC fighter called GSP, and um, he was having... Uh, yeah, he was having issues where he was, having, he was forgetting things, and he met a, a doctor in Canada who put him on intimate fasting. I think that's how you say it. Intimate fasting, yeah. And what he was doing was, he, and he's saying what you're saying, he goes, we're not designed to just keep putting food in ourselves all the time and we're not looking at what we're putting in. And he was eating in a six to eight hour window. And because he was eating in a six to eight hour window, it, and he was only putting in what he needed in the right amount in that short space of time, his memory came back, he went back into fighting. And I think, it's like you said, going back to the food, we don't know what we're putting in. We don't know how much to put in, and we, we, we're not eating, we're just eating to stay full. We, we, there are people that are drinking, a lot of the younger people out there, they're, they're drinking loads, there's a drug problem, and that's having a big effect on anxiety, panic, um, 
and it is worrying. But I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that obviously with your advice, they kind of take this on board. Would you? Would you? Um, how often would you say? You know, like they say, go for an annual check or every six months, or have your blood tested done every six months. How often should you get your heart checked? You know, I think I personally think uh, if you're a young person and it's been checked once, uh, you know, all heart disease, heart disease is either congenital, like you're born with it, or you acquire it, right? Something. So when you're young, you're too young to have acquired it because it takes a number of years to acquire heart disease. So if you're a young person, say under the age of 40, uh, then any disease you have is probably a congenital. You've been born with it. So one check will show it. Um, right, because it's there. Uh, but if you don't have it, then I don't think you need any more checking, unless something changes, unless you develop symptoms. So if you've been checked out, say, at the age of 30, I wouldn't recommend any checks until, uh, say, you get to uh, 50 or so. But if you started developing chest discomfort, particularly the red flag signs for me in young people are this, blackout. That's a red flag sign. People in your family dropping down dead suddenly at a young age. So say, you know, my cousin dropped down dead at the age of 15 playing football. That's important. Then it's a good idea to just get checked out yourself as well. Um, what else? Um, particularly if you blacked out on exercise, that's, a, that's, um, that's a, something you should definitely get checked out for. What if, you've, what, if you, what if you're having, like, you're getting palpitations and you're getting lightheaded? Not yeah. blacking out, lightheaded. Yeah, it's it's a very, I mean, you know, palpitations by their very nature will cause lightheadedness because when you, not palpitations, sorry, heart rhythm disturbance um, by its very nature will cause lightheadedness. Why? Um, because if it's a heart rhythm disturbance, then it means that the rhythm is not as effective in getting blood round. So even if you get an extra beat, you're not going to get as much blood round as you would normally. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a disturbance, right? And therefore, less blood goes to the brain, and the lack of blood will cause the lightheadedness. Uh, but if you have a nice, strong heart, whatever blood gets there will be enough to keep you going. The worry is, you know, when there's a sudden, sudden, like it's like the lights go off and you go, boom, you're on the floor and you injure yourself. That's scary. Why is that scary? For two reasons. One, it tells you that if something happened with the heart at that time, it is not pumping out any blood at that point. And two, obviously the injury is dangerous. And, you know, if it happened when you're in the gym, that's okay. But if it happened when you were on a bridge somewhere or on the road, crossing a road, then that would be really dangerous. So for those two reasons, I would take that very seriously. But other than that, it wouldn't bother me. Uh, go on. No, no, sorry, 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 sorry. I'll let you finish. Of course, I mean, if you know, if you're a young guy and you start complaining of severe chest pains, breathlessness, there are four or five symptoms that are important in cardiology. Chest discomfort, which is like someone sitting on your chest, which gets worse on exertion. Two, breathlessness, again, worse gets worse on exertion. All these things get worse on exertion because the heart's working harder. Three, palpitations, and four, blackouts. Those are the four symptoms. And if we, if, and going back, it's like if you've had your tests and they're fine, you know, and you're not blacking out, um, it's nothing to worry about. Even if you are blacking out, um, that it's not the end of the, you know, you're not, you're not about to die. There's, there's a lot of help out there. Science is progressing on a fast rate, so it's nothing to worry about. If you're not, if you if your tests are fine, it's cool. But if you're blacking out, okay, calm down. Go and see a doctor. Get good advice. 
and there's some great people out there that can help you. Absolutely. I mean, I don't think there is anything which cannot be treated. Uh, you know, it's it's just a case of getting getting medical advice at that time. So I don't think in young people there's anything that is a death sentence or anything like that. You know, that happens in people who've been smoking for 70 years, who've got diabetes and high blood pressure, who've had 10 heart attacks in the past. In those people, you may not be able to do anything because they're just generally unwell. But if you are otherwise fit and well, it doesn't really matter what you have. Usually, it can be addressed. Fab, so um, that, some great points touched upon there. So you, what, what I did was, like during the week, I put uh, in a lot of groups that I'm going to have you on. And um, if anybody's got any questions, get them into me and I'll get, obviously, because I know, like you said, people want answers and we really appreciate you taking time out to answer these. So we'll just go through them. I've had Jem Smith, who's, who's kind of got in touch, who is, who he suffers from high blood pressure, but when he's going to the gym, he is um, getting worked up and ending up in a panic attack. And he's saying he doesn't know if it's his heart or if he's getting anxious, what can he do? But his, um, if, uh, if I'm, if I'm sure, he's, uh, he's not going to a point of a blackout, but he's getting really anxious and I think he's getting worked up when his heart's pumping and, he's in, and he just can't train. He's scared to actually go into the gym and train. Okay, so I mean, a, I don't think it'd be too anything too worrying. Uh, the second thing is, of course, the blood pressure is calculated. You know, in the calculation for the blood pressure, the heart rate figures. So heart rate, the way you calculate blood pressure or pressure for any matter is the amount of blood that's coming out of the heart per minute. So the heart rate is one of those determinants divided by the amount of um, area over which that force is exerted. So if you have high blood pressure and you do something to increase your heart rate, of course your blood pressure will go up. That happens to everyone. Uh, it'll happen more in people who have high blood pressure, but as soon as the heart settles, the blood pressure will come down. So just the very fact that he goes on a treadmill and if he gets his heart rate up, his blood pressure will go up. Now, I completely buy the fact that he's scared of exercising and the easiest thing for him to do is have an exercise test with a doctor um, so that they can, he can see and show the cardiologist exactly what happens when he exercises. If everything is fine, if his rhythm is fine when he's exercising, uh, then he can just be allowed to get on with his life. Nothing else is needed. So I would tell him to relax. I would say, yes, you know, it's, uh, you know, this happens. It's nothing to be too worried about. But it's a good idea to go and have an exercise test, a supervised treadmill test, and that will put your mind at ease. And if you're fine, you can do whatever you like. And do you think the blood pressure just made him really anxious and he's just trying to get himself worked up? I suspect that it depends on whether he's measuring his blood pressure and that's the number that he's getting worried about or whether it's just that he's getting the palpitations. That's, uh, so the, the easy way to try and address this is to do the, assess the heart rhythm at the time. And if his heart rhythm is normal, then you know that his heart rhythm is just, his heart rate is just a consequence of the exercise he's doing or anxiety. If his heart rhythm at that time is abnormal, then one can address that quite easily. I've got Annie, Annie Owens asking, could you ask why we still often get palpitations and events even with better blockers? Oh, because, you know, the... the, the I mean, beta blockers, all they do is they sort of blunt, they blunt the response to adrenaline in our body. Um, but, uh, 
you know that that can change the amount of a lot of palpitations are largely uh, governed by the brain so if you if you are very very anxious even though you may be on a beta blocker you can still uh, get enough adrenaline in your system or have enough adrenaline that the beta blocker will not be enough to curb that and you can still get palpitations um, you know so if you take someone with who's on a beta blocker and exercise them they won't get their heart rate up high enough as if compared to someone who's not in a beta blocker, but they still do get a high heart rate. It's not like that they can't get their high heart rate to go up at all. So it's just a matter of how much adrenaline you have in the system. Uh, the more anxious you are, even if you're on a beta blocker, the more um, palpitations you'll get. The anxiety that's kind of playing, yeah, yeah, playing tricks. I've had another question. I forgot the person's name. He was saying, or she, when you're lying down, why can you hear your heartbeat more and why does it seem faster? I read something about this actually once. It was something to do with gravity, somebody said. Well, I think, I mean, there's no doubt that, um, you know, when you're lying down, you are, you, you have more time to think about your heart. So uh, most people won't think of their heart when they're busy running around, you know, work, etc. They're not going to think, oh, is my heart beating fine or not? They just do what they're so preoccupied. After a busy day's work, you know, when you lie down, that's the first time you actually become aware of it. If you have any anxiety or you're thinking much, then you become even more aware of it. There is something called a vagal response. So actually, when you lie down, that's a vagal um, thing. And we notice um, our heart rate slows down more. And because the heart slows down, it has more time to fill with blood because it's filling with more blood. It's pumping out more blood, and that can feel like a more forceful heartbeat. A lot of people will particularly say this when they're lying on their left side because the heart is on the left and it falls closer to the chest, and that can actually make you become more aware as well. Um, but again, that's, that's a sign of heart palpitations being a benign thing. Why should you notice them when the heart's not doing anything? Why shouldn't you notice them when the heart is being put under stress? That tells you that that's actually quite a benign thing. So it's very normal, nothing to worry about there. Absolutely. <laughs> I've got Mar Marianne uh, saying, why does your heart beat irregular, especially when I'm feeling nervous or crying or feeling something? What can you do? Medication? Um, I just started lifting weights and sometimes on strain. Um, I think she's more worried about, obviously when she's nervous and she's crying, the irregular heartbeat. Yeah. So there's no doubt that uh, there's two things to this. One, anxiety, stress, anything like that. You know, when you're getting upset, you're hyperventilating. A lot of people will overbreathe, and they push the magnesium that's in their blood into the cells. That's why when we overbreathe, we get pins and needles in our hands, and we can get some numbness around our lips. That's why you see all these people who come hyperventilating into um, the hospital and they are given a brown bag to breathe in and that takes away their tingling and numbness. And uh, um, So that is the mechanism why people get extra beats or missed beats uh, when they're anxious or nervous. In terms of when she's straining, that's very interesting because remember when you're straining, you're increasing the difficulty it is for the heart to pump blood out. You're actually, you know, most straining movements are by being curled up or pushing against something. That makes it more difficult for the heart to pump blood out. And of course, if the heart is a little bit irritable, it becomes a little bit more irritable during that. So it's common for everyone to get more when they're doing straining exercises. The next one I've got from is um, 
Valerie Terry saying, I wanted to ask, my mother was diagnosed with, is it Brugada? Oh, yes. Yeah, and has a, a defib uh, device placed. Should yeah. myself and my siblings be concerned or having it also, or should we request a specific test? I was told unless I develop a synecop, yeah, uh, they will not be an, they will they will not be aggressive with the treatment. I and some of my siblings have cardiac electrical malfunction, especially RBBB, which can be overlooked as a brigade. I am asking also if I if I scheduled EKG will show signs of brigade or does it need to be challenged to show? Sorry, I think she's from abroad. Her language, the way she wrote that. Okay, so Brigada is an interesting condition because um, basically that this is an electrical abnormality with the heart which can be inherited. The concerns with this is that you can go into funny rhythms and it can cause you to black out and it can even cause sudden death. The problem is that most of the treatment for it has largely been shown to be effective in those people who actually black out with it. In uh, her case, I would certainly recommend that if she's got uh, an abnormal ECG, she should definitely see an electrophysiologist. Uh, why? Because it's just good to have been tested. They often do this thing called a Agmaline challenge test, where they try and bring it out. And I think in someone who has a family history of Brugada, you know, who's got an abnormal ECG, not abnormal, right bundle branch block is hardly abnormal, but it could be because a lot of people with Brugada have this right bundle branch block pattern anyway. So in her case, I would definitely recommend getting checked out by an electrophysiologist. I don't think she's in any major danger or anything. I'm not trying to, I don't want to. It's good to be safe. Um, it's just good to be yeah, safe. Good to be you safe. You know, good to be safe. Go and get it checked out. Put yourself at ease, and yeah. then um, just move on with your life. Really, that's all you can do. Because, like you said, um, a lot of people are fearing, and even if you, if it means going to a specialist or seeing to or paying to see a specialist or get something done, it puts your mind at ease. You have a better quality of life as well, rather than waking up thinking, "Oh my God! Oh my God! Oh my God!" Uh, Teresa is saying, "Can you ask Doctor Gupta the link between palpitations and hormones?" perimenopause, uh, palpitations, and limb disease, and is it babesa? Babesa? Babesiosis. Babesiosis. And is, is it beneficial to see an EP after a cardio to determine the palpitations are beginning? Well, the first thing to say is that um, uh, there's a very close link between hormonal changes and PVCs. Uh, we see it in women who are pregnant. We see it with periods, particularly during the ovulation time. And we see it uh, in women who are perimenopausal. So very well described. I have a video on this very subject on my YouTube channel. Uh, the second thing to say is that Lyme's disease is uh, an um, interesting condition. It's a tick-borne virus which can affect people. Um, unfortunately, there's not much experience of Lyme's disease, but I have friends who are vets and they're saying Lyme's is really far more common amongst adults than we realize. Lyme's can cause electrical disturbances of the heart, it can cause a carditis, and often it can also cause a very slow heart rate. I don't have much experience of looking after patients with Lyme's, but I do have a bunch of stories from other patients who've had Lyme's on my website. 
in terms of babesiosis, I have no experience whatsoever, so I can't really give you any insight into that. And then finally, her last bit was about getting checked out by a doctor about the cardia, I think, was it? Yes, I think it was, yes. Yeah, I mean, I think I think if you're getting palpitations, it's always a good idea to get checked out. I, I don't think the cardia, I mean, I think the cardia is a useful uh, device, but sometimes the problem with the cardia app is that you can only use it after your palpitations have started because you need something to start, then you get the machine out, put it on, et cetera, et cetera. And sometimes the most useful information can be just as the palpitation is starting. So you miss that bit of information when you have the cardiac because, you know, sometimes it's really useful because most heart rhythm disturbances start like this, just sudden, boom, they start. Whereas other, uh, like sinus tachycardia, et cetera, starts gradually. So if you have something called a supraventricular tachycardia, which is a fast, regular heart rate, it can look like sinus tachycardia. And all you need is you need to see the beginning to see how it started and you need to see the end to see how it finished. And that gives you insight. So in that sense, I think a continuous monitor, if you're getting palpitations, can be a useful thing to have. Thank you for that. Um, just going back to the one um, where we spoke about when you're lying down, what if you're asleep and you wake up hearing your heart? It doesn't really mean very much at all because remember things like, uh, it's interesting, you know, we go into REM sleep, okay? So in REM sleep, we have things like, uh, you know, you can dream, you have all that kind of stuff. And sometimes that can cause adrenaline release, you know, small adrenaline releases can happen if you have a bad nightmare, etc. And of course, if you are particularly anxious, etc., or if you're a light sleeper, sometimes you can end up waking up because of that adrenaline surge. And that can feel like, you know, and that happens when we're anxious and we're stressed. You get, you know, you go through a period where in your sleep you have a nightmare or a dream. And you may not even remember that. And suddenly you wake up and then boom, 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 your heart's beating really hard. It'll settle. It doesn't signify anything dangerous. Um, and as a person's situation changes, it often goes away. So most people say, well, that happens and I don't even, I'm not even stressed. But then when you look back, then they'll come back and say, oh, yeah, I was moving house at that time. Or, oh, yeah, I was going through a divorce at that time or something like that. Or it could even be something you've eaten that night before, which could have an effect. You know, if you've, if you've been drinking high amount of sugar, heavy carbs, anything could have. And, and one thing I realized was... Well, Chinese food, MSG can do Yeah. And, and one thing I realized a lot was you're getting older day by day. Your body's changing. You know, you mentally still think you're 20, but you're actually 36, 37, 40. So you can't, you have to accept that. But I think it's, I'm glad you, you're really um, clearing and keeping it really simple because too many people are just reading stuff online and I think it's just not helping anybody. Um, try to read quality, um, watch quality uh, people like yourself or read quality stuff. There's, there's stuff on there that's very broad, I've seen. Like I saw one article where it was like, I'm having heart uh, palpitation. There are five things that could be wrong with you. And it's very clickbait stuff out there. It's horrendous. It's horrendous. Uh, you know, it's very, it's a, it's a very interesting thing. I'll give you, a, I was thinking about this recently. You know, 
the the media and the pharmaceutical industry and uh, the healthcare industry in general have been very clever about this. And I'll give you a really interesting example, uh, Bilal. Uh, for example, if you go on to a construction site, you will see these signs saying that if you're here, you have to wear a helmet. Okay. Now, just think about this. If you if you um, they let's say you wear a helmet, what does the helmet do? It, you know, I'm just giving you just uh, out of the blue, uh, you know, figures that are made up. Let's say wearing a helmet reduces the risk of something bad happening to you if something falls on your head by 25%. That's why they recommend that when you're on a construction site, you should wear a helmet. Something could fall on your head. It'll reduce your risk of dying if you wear a helmet by 25%. Let's say that, right? Now, the thing is, the truth is, as we're here sitting and talking, if we were wearing a helmet, it is true. The helmet would reduce the chance of something bad happening to us if something fell on our head now by 25%. But we're not wearing helmets because the chances of something falling on our heads are so incredibly low. This is what they've done with the blood pressure thing. Okay? They say, oh, if your blood pressure is high, take tablets because your risk of dying is increased by this much. And if you take these tablets, lower the blood pressure, your risk will fall by 25%. But it's exactly the same. The risk is not the same in different people. If you are 70 and if you have diabetes and you're fat and you've had three heart attacks, sure, then you are like on the proverbial construction site. If you're 25 and you're otherwise well and you go jogging every day and you're fine and you've never had a problem, that is, it will still reduce your risk, but your risk is so infinitesimally small it doesn't really make any difference at all. All you'll get is side effects. So this is what they've done. The, the, the healthcare industry and the pharmaceutical industry have managed to send, sell construction site helmets to the general public. And everyone is now thinking, oh, whilst they're eating their food, oh, my God, I should be wearing a helmet. Oh, my God, I should be wearing a helmet. That's what's happening. It's very true. You know, um, if you look up on radio, because I listen to a lot of talks for traveling to work, there's a big campaign at the moment about strokes. You know, is is have you got like? Is there a fire in your head? Is it and and they're creating like uh, people are saying, "Oh my God, have I got fire in my? Oh my God, is my left hand side going? Oh my God, oh my God!" It's like when you go to a public toilet and uh, and urinal behind the urinal at the top is testicular um, cancer and have you got a lump? And people are looking for lumps everywhere. You're thinking, oh, yeah, what is going on? Like it's just people are just assuming the worst of everything. You got a headache? I got a brain tumor. It, it, um, I've got I've got a bit of um, uh, indigestion. I'm having a heart attack, or you know, and it's just fear, 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 which leads back to there's that much information out there. You don't know what's right. You don't know who's writing it. You don't know what that background is. That piece of information. I tell you something interesting, something really interesting. This is 2011. I went to the bathroom and I spat out and I, and I think I did something and, and and I spat out a bit of blood. So I went, oh God, blood, what do I do now? And, and it, was, it was on the 20th or the 21st of December. Rang the doctor, right? No, no, you can't get in. Then it's Christmas break. So I put it into Google, spotting blood, cancer. It's cancer. I went, what oh, cancer? For four or five days, I was under stress. I thought, oh my God, I've got cancer. My whole life was flashing in front of me. I've got cancer. I can't get into the doctors. Um, it was just really bad, really bad. Um, eventually... I got to see the doctor on the 3rd or the 4th of January and um, he goes, um, it doesn't look like cancer, are you, are you losing weight? And he asked me certain questions. Eventually, we got to the bottom of it and I had gum disease. And it was just, I went into Google and I just typed something in and it, and it just put me into panic. And 
And I can see a lot of other people doing this because they want answers, they can't get into the doctors because of the waiting list. And I've, and I've, the NHS is under extreme pressure. You know, it's just, they're under that much load, they just can't get you in. And when you are getting in, he's got six minutes, he's got to fill out a form, what do you do? You know, and that's why I think it's very important and I'm glad people like yourself are putting stuff out that are trying to help people because there's just that much bullcrap out there that people... I've never seen... I asked my mum this the other day about anxiety and stuff. She goes, I've never seen this in, in my life. Like, young people in their 20s, you see, that are just panicking and they're, they're conditioned and you think, what is going on? You know, what, it's just... It's just so bad. Now, um, I've got one last question. Um, one last one. Um, I, I apologise if I can't get some of the words right uh, because the terms are, I'm not used to. So this is from Kyle's in America. He's saying, I suffer from heart palpitations when anemic. I also have an, an uh, anticoagulant, is it anticoagulant? Uh, daily, as I have significant history of DVTs. As a result, I experience heavy periods, anema and palpitations. My question is, are there other, un how do you say that, anticoagulants anti -coagulants that have been proven to have a lesser impact on menstruation? therefore reducing anemia and palpitations. I have had iron transfusions over the years. I do not like taking iron tablets due to constipation. Are there any other supplements you can recommend? Well, this is a, I mean, the, the truth is that, you know, um, there is, it, it, anticoagulants thin the blood, uh, they don't thin the blood, the anticoagulants stop your blood from clotting as quickly. If you've had a deep vein thrombosis, it means that your blood did clot uh, in an unnatural position, and that can be very dangerous. Deep vein thrombosis can be very dangerous because they can go up to the lung and cause clots, uh, and those clots can be dangerous and sometimes fatal. So there is no doubt that it's a good idea to stop blood from clotting as quickly. The problem is that by its very nature, then, if you were to bleed from somewhere, then you're, you were more likely to bleed. That is just the unfortunate Thing. And I guess there are no real such anticoagulants that I'm aware of, which would specifically reduce that bleeding. We knew we know that there are these newer agents now before they used to be on warfarin. Now there are these newer agents and these newer agents are better with things like bleeding in the brain. But I'm not aware of them being better at bleeding in the, you know, in the uterus, etc. Um, I agree with. So. I can't really give her a um, solution to this. If sometimes what you can do is you can put a filter in into the veins in your legs and that filter acts to stop any clot that has formed in the legs going up to the lungs. But I think still, you know, if, I, if it were me, I'd probably want to be on an anticoagulant. Now the question is, how do you go about it? Well, replenishing, well, the first thing I think is it's always worth just making sure that in the uterus there's no particular bleeding point because at the end of the day, there has to be a hole somewhere from which the blood is coming. And what the anticoagulant does is it just stops that hole from, that blood from clotting. So if you can find a hole, you can find a bleeding point and treat that, then that substantially reduces the risk of bleeding through it. Uh, the second thing, of course, is if she cannot take oral iron, then intravenous iron. You can have intravenous iron, and people tolerate that a lot better. And that would correct her anemia. 
But this is a complex situation. And I, personally, I would say, well, make sure that there's no real major bleeding point in the uterus, which is uh, contributing that, you know, so you, um, of course, you know, if it's just periods, that's part and parcel of it. But then taking something to control the periods may be better. Uh, uh, but again, you know, that's something that's a little bit outside my sort of field of expertise. No, fully appreciate. Um, that kind of wraps up where we are. Um, where can people find out more about you? Where can they see your stuff? How can they, uh, I know you could, how can they get in touch with you? you know? Great. So, I mean, I have a YouTube channel, which is called York Cardiology, Y-O-R-K Cardiology. Great. And then I have a Facebook page where people can um, contact me, and that's uh, at the, you know, that symbol at your cardiologist. We'll link the link below as well. Okay. And then uh, finally, uh, I have a website, uh, which is drsanjayguptacardiologist.com. And there's a way you can actually, if you wanted to talk to me, you can schedule a Skype consultation, and that's through www.yourcardiology.co.uk. Sanjay, thank you so much. You know, oh, if pleasure. there's more doctors like you out there, there would be a lot less anxiety. You know, not many people on a Sunday at 12 o'clock would take an hour out to give free advice. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, great. Thank you so much. I'd just like to say two things uh, just before I go. One is that fear, which is the biggest problem, doesn't stop us dying. It stops us living, though, and that's really important. You know, I think um, people need to bear that in mind, that you can spend 20 years being fearful, and then all you've lost at the end of that is 20 years of your life, and uh, that's really, really important. Well, fear the worst, the kind of most extreme situation, like that. some of the questions we've had, like, oh, God, to me, I'm not an expert, but reading them, there's an underlying element of anxiety in all of them that they're just scared. Either they're scared of like what's going to happen, and, and in my own, in my own experience, we don't control our length of life. We can't, uh, but we can control our quality of life. And more people should concentrate on their quality of life rather than worrying about how long they live. So a lot of people come to me and say, oh, I want to be there for my children in 20 years. Right? And I say to them, well, be there for your children now. Okay? Don't worry about 20 years. Be there for them now. That's the important thing. And then uh, as long as you're doing that every day, whatever, you know, Eventually, at the end of the day, our time is our time. And uh, when our time is up, it's up. You know? So making the most of it and enjoying our lives is probably the best thing that we can do. And that's the most important thing. This kind of fear that, oh, something could happen and this belief that, oh, something could be suddenly, you know, some magic cure will make us live till 200. Actually, most people will not want to live till 200 if they didn't have a good quality of life. So why not spend time concentrating on our quality of lives? That's the most important thing from my perspective. And I think it's very important that you learn from the past. Um, you don't know what's going to happen in the future because nobody Absolutely. does. Um, live in the moment. Exactly. Uh, live in the moment. Um, and one last thing which I want to say is the internet can be very useful but it can also be very dangerous. Um, if you're going to watch stuff, watch quality stuff, watch uh, recognized people, watch people that are qualified in their fields. Um, I found success stories being very helpful because it kind of gives you hope. And that's the whole point of this. And once again, Sanjay, thank you so much. You know, you, it's a pleasure to have you on and I hope in the future we can do some stuff together. Definitely. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.